us. And this morning, we're going to talk about finish. How to finish and finish well. Grab your Bibles. Let's put them over our heart. Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It reveals to me who God says I am and tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'm going to read. Therefore, I am transformed. Man, I believe that. Here's the big idea this morning. Many of you know enough about your Bible or just about the events surrounding the crucifixion and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Easter, the passion of the Christ as it's called, to know that on the cross Jesus uttered three words that are extremely famous. They're in movies, they're in sermons, it's one of the best known and well-loved passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It is finished. Say it out loud. It is finished. So we, we want to talk about how to finish well this morning. Now, when Jesus said, it is finished, that was the Father's invitation to enter his rest and live in provision. That was the Father's invitation to us to respond to a life of provision through faith. You see, it is finished when Jesus said it wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. <laughs> oh, man. John Acuff, Time's bestseller, prolific author, wrote a book on this subject finish how to finish well in that book he talks about the and I'll reword it just a little bit the grace for imperfection see John says that one of the things that keeps us from finishing is perfectionism now that's an area where I've been blessed in perfectionism <laughs> I look around the room and I see some smiles and I see some heads nodding and I, and if I could get to you, there'd be a high five. Yes, I'm, I'm all over that. I love perfectionism. Amen. But it's actually one of the things that can keep us from finishing. John talks about the need for us to have grace with the imperfect. Grace with ourselves in being imperfect. He did some research using social media and I want to quote what he did here he says while searching for some real examples from real people regarding this concept of perfectionism and being imperfect I asked friends on Facebook about perfectionism one person described it this way see if you can identify I start with the belief that I could do something then I get all excited and I start dreaming. At first I feel confident and like I know what I'm doing. Then my dreams get big. Then I want perfection. Then all of a sudden I feel inadequate to do the job 
because I don't know how to do it at that level. Then the dreams die and the goal is forgotten. Best thing about it is that most of the time, all that I've mentioned above is just mental. I never actually started anything. <laughs> how many times? How many times have we lived in that space where we've gone through that process and actually got all the way to the end of an incredible dream and goal and objective and talked ourselves out of it? Never even got started because of our perfectionism. Now, I've got good news for you this morning. Everything you could possibly dream of, somebody perfect accomplished it for you. Made it available. And then hung on a cross and uttered three words. It is finished. I've done it. I've accomplished it. I've obtained it. I've got it for you. And it end, and those words, it is finished, isn't the end. It's just the beginning of an incredible life of faith where God invites us into that divine dance with the Trinity of provision and wholeness and health. And he says, look, I just want you to rest. I just want you to believe I've done this. There's two great declarations in the Bible of finishing. One we've just read, but the other goes like this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Even God rests. I don't know, I just feel like I need to sit there for a second. How many times have we gotten to the end of the week and said, I just don't have anything left? <laughs> How many times have you felt like while, while the kids were still pulling on you, I just don't have anything left? <laughs> See, we could go through a dozen analogies this morning. How many times have you felt like when the pastor calls, you know, and we do that through a number of ways. Today we have Facebook. Today we have, you know, CCB. Uh, you know, it might be the pulpit. It might be during announcements when my beautiful goddess gets up and she makes an announcement. <laughs> so the pastor's calling. And we say inside of us, I just don't have anything. You know why you say that? Because we're not following God's plan of resting. He never created me to get to the end of my week and constantly be in the place where I utter, I just don't have anything left. Because what we're really saying is, I've just gotten to the end of my week and I've spent it doing it all in my own strength and power. And you know what? I ran out. And God says, you know what? You're right. And that's why. And he says, I want you to begin to experience a whole new realm of finishing. Where you come to the end of your ability and you start resting in his. Yeah. 
The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, for we who have believed enter that rest. You see, it takes belief. It takes a believing. It takes a, a decision to believe what God says. When you read the Bible, you've got to believe that. When you read the Bible, you've got to believe those promises are yours, not somebody else's. See, this isn't available to unbelievers. This kind of rest, this kind of provision, this kind of rich Christianity. I hesitate to use that word because it means so many different things to different people and I don't... This, this rich, believing, believer's life of following Christ is meant to be filled with joy, filled with provision, filled with abundance. And he doesn't ask me to produce it. He asks me to rest. But I've got to believe that's his will. I've got to believe that he finished it and that it's now available to me by faith. The writer continues, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I sworn my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. He's talking about the Hebrew people who would not believe in his rest, who would not accept him as their God, and they wanted a golden calf. And they wanted law code, and they wanted uh, uh, to legislate morality, and he said, they, they're not going to enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. The correct translation of that is from the fall of the earth. We read a similar passage or mentioned a similar passage from Ephesians last week. How that Jesus was a lamb slain before the fall of the earth. You see, this, this whole thing is a setup. Have you ever felt set up? Have you ever gotten yourself into a set of circumstances where you felt taken advantage of? You know, where you got to the end of it and you found out, oh my goodness, I just wasted. You know, it might have been hours, it might have been money, it might have been your time, your love, your investment. What, you just felt set up and then drained and then, and then mad and frustrated that somebody could do that to you. You know what? God has set you up. God has set us up, but he never takes advantage of us. He leaves us in that place where he engages us regarding our free will and says, look, now I've already finished it. I've already provided everything you need, but it is going to require you to believe it and to receive it personally as your own. And when you do, then you'll begin to walk in a whole new realm of provision and joy and faith. What is it that you need today? What is it that would change your life significantly if it happened between now and the end of this year? Holler out something right now. Go ahead. Healing. Healing. All right. What else? Holler it out. Go ahead. Marriage. Marriage. All right. Finances. You're looking. L looking or the marriage is troubled? Troubled. troubled. Okay. Somebody said finances. Somebody said finances. Okay. Somebody else? Real loud. Wow. Just like a, yeah, just a wholeness. 
Somebody else? Organization. Or organization. <laughs> I need organized. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty's an entrepreneur and building a building a business and hey, come on, any of you that have ever flowed in that, you know. That, that organ it's the little foxes, okay, that can spoil the vine. So uh, hey. All right. Now, let me tell you something. Every one of you. And everybody could have shouted, you just, you know, you were reserved. See, we're not going to be nearly this reserved over at the new place. There's a lot of things changing. Over at the new place, we're going we're, we're to become Pentecostal over at the new place. So, uh, here's Amen. the deal. So, yeah. Hey, that's, that's all it takes. Just even one. Even one. Here's the deal. Everything you just mentioned, and for all of you that didn't shout it out, it's already yours. It's already provided. He's already made a way, and he invites us to come into this place of resting in him and receiving it by faith. I told you there were two great declarations of finish, how to finish. Well, the first was this that we've talked about. God himself created all that is, rested, and said, man, this looks great, I'm finished. That is the will of God for you to end your day and end your week being able to say, wow, I followed the Lord, I prayed, I did my best with my time, my money, the things that I felt like the Lord wanted me to do, now God, the rest is up to you, I turn loose of it, I let go of it, you go ahead and just, all right? Because this thing isn't mine after all, it's yours. I just finish. I'm just going to, even God rested. And not because he was tired. <laughs> God rested not because he was tired, but because it's a principle of the God kind of life. Jesus on the cross uttered, it is finished. That's the second great declaration of this finish. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, it was just the start of the transformation of the entire world. So when I cry out, I'm too tired, that's just the start of God's strength. When I admit in desperation, there's not enough. That's just the beginning of God's abundant provision. God's rest, God's finish, God's idea of wholeness, God's idea of finance, God's idea of healing and health, God's idea of marriage meets me at the place that I cry out in my own ability. It's too much in my own desperation. God, it's not enough. He meets me at that place and says, I have, I have everything you need. Finish is a declaration that I am stronger than I believe. Finish is a declaration I will not quit. Finish is a declaration that nothing else is acceptable but God's best. And God's provision always begins with my surrender of self-reliance. 
Oh, I don't know if you're listening to me this morning. God's provision always begins with my surrendering self-reliance. So let's talk about how you can increase your awareness of finishing. It's not about doing more. It's about resting. See, there's all kinds of books about how to persevere, how to finish well, how to have grit, how to do more, how to press in. And I appreciate that. The Apostle Paul used that word. He said forgetting the past and pressing towards the goal. There is a, there is a commitment internally that I need to have to persevere. And I, I want to talk about a little bit of that here for a few remaining moments. But ultimately, it's not about my performance and it's not about me doing more. Ooh. It's about me resting in what he's already accomplished. Here's number one. The first thing we need to do to embrace a greater day and a greater walk and realization and lifestyle of finish is we need to validate the voices we are listening to. What do I mean? In Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, something interesting happened here to Jesus and he responded in a very unique way a way that you may want to consider responding to some of your own circumstances listen to me now verse 31 of chapter 13 at that very hour some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him get away from here Herod wants to kill you and Jesus said to them, you go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I will finish my course. Now that term third day doesn't mean literally the third of three. It means in the future. Jesus wasn't even close to his passion here and his passion lasted a whole week. So this was not talking about his passion. This was talking about the principle of life he lived in. He said, look, I am not moved by what is urgent. I will not move, be moved by people's opinions. In fact, I will not be moved by family members who may or may not be listening to the Holy Spirit at all. And yet everybody always has advice. <laughs> I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I get a lot of advice. Everybody's got advice. <laughs> yeah. How many of you have people in your life that are more than ready to give you advice? Direct... They might not say, thus saith the Lord, but they sure want you to know this is really important and we believe that if you do this, the Lord would bless. <laughs> so many things I could say about that. I just need to stay away from it. <laughs> My, my wife's up here. 
on the front row saying, yes, you do. <laughs> she just said that. Yes, so, so all the really important voices in my life are speaking for Jesus right now. You know, every once in a while, you need to rise up. You need something to rise up within you and say, you go tell that fox. I know what God's told me. I have clear direction on his will. So for the next day or two, or week or two, or month or two, I'm going to continue in this, and then when that's finished, I'm going to go over here. Now, tell that fox today has a certain colloquial meaning to it. It's almost kind of, it's a little coy and playful, and not back then. It was the most demeaning of terms speaking to someone who was trying to be destructive in the vineyard and defeat God's will. Listen, dear ones, you need to get a hold of God's word and get a hold and get clarity on God's will for you and then walk it out and validate the voices that try to talk you out of your vision. And be sure you're hearing from God. And I don't care who you disappoint. I don't care who it is in your life that you disappoint. You need to know that you know that you know what God has said to you. Sometimes those closest to you can be speaking doubt and unbelief, taking you out of your destiny. Number two, second thing we need to do just to be more aware of this life of finishing well. Starve your worry. There is no contradiction to your faith but what is temporary. Temptation, trial, difficulty, something that sets you back, set back, things people say, whatever it is, some sort of moral issue you're having with a a habit you just haven't been able to get over. All of that. Listen, I love the mirror translation of this, this concept of temptation and trial. Francois calls it, Francois Dutois, the author of the Mirror Bible, calls it contradiction of faith. Every contradiction of your faith that tries to get a hold of you and seize you is temporary. You need to approach that worry, that stronghold of worry with this. I am going to stay right here. I will stand. I will persevere. I know what God has told me. And have a little bit of stick-to-itism. You might say, well, what about Job's trial, though? Remember how God allowed the devil? And that's not good theology. It's what you hear, but it's not accurate theology. God allowed the devil to come in and just steal and rob from Job, and he lost everything he had. Do you know that it's very common for Christians, Christ followers, to use Job as an example of a New Testament life? You'd think Jesus hadn't even died on the cross. You'd think Jesus' death was meaningless. 
Because we dip back into the old covenant and we use somebody like Job as a model of what we're supposed to be experiencing. Job is not your model. (laughs) Got a bunch of Job followers today instead of Jesus followers. (laughs) Now listen to this. My wife was with me yesterday. We were sitting on the... What are those things? No, it's not that simple, honey. I'm preaching. I need something more elegant. It wasn't just a chair. <laughs> they're recliners, and they're very, they're large and wide and very, you know, puffy, and, and just, you can just go to sleep in them, and, and all of them have a little button, and you push the button, and they, the thing, the legs come out. So we're sitting on these recliners watching, watching a, a bit of television. I think it was over lunch. And I'm flipping through the channels, and on comes Joel Osteen. I love Joel. Joel always makes me stand at least a foot taller. I've heard people criticize Joel as Christianity light, theology light. Oh, shut up, you fox. How dumb. You start reaching the people Joel has reached, maybe you can have a say. People out in the community are not interested in the depth of your theology. They're interested in hope and healing and a message that will deliver them out of where they're at and give them something different than what they're living with all day. Joel does it beautifully. So he was preaching on Joe, making a point. I'll never forget this. It's one of those things that when you hear it, it gets indelibly ingrained on your memory and you just you don't even have to make a note of it. You'll always remember it. So Nina and I were talking about it. He said, you know, what many people don't understand about Job is that the commentaries tell us that that entire story of Job where he lost everything happened in its entirety over a nine-month period. Nine months. And we always want to throw in the towel on the first week. (laughs) Dear one, I want to tell you something. You can go nine months. He lost everything. Family and career and money and had boils all over his body. But you read the end of that story. God restored to him everything sevenfold. Sevenfold. Here's the point. No matter what you are dealing with, it is temporary. If you can see it, that's the good thing. It's temporary. Listen to Paul. Paul says this, For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, because we are not looking at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Starve your worry. How? Take your eyes off of what you can see. God's got your back. You'll come through it. Stick it out. Stay in it. Last through it. You are able. You have something so incredible living on the inside of you. It is the eternal creator of the universe. 
And he is able to bring you through. Next time you want to use Job as an example, just remember, it only went on nine months. <laughs> Woo! I believe I could go nine months if I knew at the end I was going to get sevenfold back. I mean everything that he lost. Houses and land. He lost his wife and his kids. Some of you say, wife? Whoa, I'll go for the seven of those. No, 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 men. Men, come on. That's Old Testament, all right? That's Old Testament. We're not believing for seven wives. And most of you aren't believing for seven times the number of kids you have either. All right, number three. Number three, if we want to change this thing, the way we've been living and finish, count the cost. Count the cost. Here's where rubber, finish it for me, meets. Jesus uh, is found saying something in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, that's so critical to us. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them something that ran a bunch of them off. And you'd think that Jesus was just a little smarter than that. You know, we preachers are always concerned about what we're saying so that we're careful and don't run anybody off. <laughs> I'm getting less concerned. <laughs> I'm getting less concerned about it. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and he was not able to finish. Christ doesn't invite you to come follow him without considering the cost. Now, he died for all, that all might know him. But he receives no glory from people who come and shake the preacher's hand and make a profession of faith in an emotional service, and they start, but they don't finish. Dear ones, let me tell you something. In this earth, and especially regarding a walk with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Finishing is far more important than starting. You and I both know people, Jim, that have started. And where are they today? I know preachers, contemporaries of mine that started in ministry same I did, the same time I did. Now they're selling insurance, Selling cars. Nothing wrong with either of those professions unless you're called to preach the word of God. You ought to be preaching the word of God. And pastoring and being an evangelist or an apostle. But they gave it up for 
an sundry of reasons. And, I, and I'm not saying that those reasons weren't real and that they didn't truly suffer. And maybe in a lot of those cases, somebody, they just needed somebody to come alongside that wouldn't judge them and that would be a place of hope and healing and would encourage the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life and believe in them and raise them up again and, and not make them feel like they're second-class citizens and like they have no more hope of ever standing again before the people of God and having a voice because they messed up. I'm so thankful because I'm a product of restoration. I know what it's like to go through a lot of those circumstances. But thankfully I had some men and I had some women that stood by me and said, Jeff, this can all turn around. We believe in you. How about you this morning? I don't care how you started or where you've come so far. I'm interested in how you finish. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to finish well. You're going to make it. We're going to have a great time. We're going to build something great for Christ. He's not looking at your yesterday. He's far more interested in your tomorrow. I said, he's not... He's not looking at your yesterday. He's far more interested in your tomorrow. You watching in Spain and Australia and South Africa and all over the world, literally, we have listeners in those areas. Central America, Middle East. God's more interested in your tomorrow than he is what happened to you yesterday. Stay strong. Starve your worry. Quit listening to the wrong voices. You can make it. You can be everything God promised you to be. You have a glorious destiny ahead of you. Religion is the result of compromising a passionate, sold-out commitment to follow Jesus. Paul said it this way, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. A self-focused preoccupation with me always dilutes and adulterates a passionate grit for the things of God. Where are you this morning? Do you have a passionate grit for the things of God? Do you have a passionate, I will finish this morning then you're going to have to get your eyes off of yourself Paul said it this way but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ what am I challenging you with today this past week somebody said to Nina while we were over at the new building they were noticing how that it Sits right in between an Ace Hardware and a liquor store. <laughs> Maybe you were with her, Anna. And uh, they, they said, well, you're putting a church next to a liquor store? I, I wouldn't put a church next to a liquor store. That's exactly where we want to put a church. Yes, I want a church right next to a liquor store. You know why? Because it's not we and they. Why would you not put a liquor store, uh, church next to a liquor store? 
unless it's we and they, and you believe as part of the we now that you're too holy, that what goes on in your building is too holy for those, the they, to come and to enter in. We don't. In fact, let me tell you a vision I have. Boy, Amy and Trevor, there has never been a greater opportunity for healing rooms, healing school, and healing center than we have right there. I want to take that for you. Those of you that have been over know what I'm talking about. I want to take that for you. And I want to make it such an inviting, beautiful environment. Really comfortable where people can come and sit down. I want to throw those outside doors wide open. I want to have coffee tables. And I want to have hot chocolate and coffee and some tea. And I want to invite people in just to sit down. Maybe drink a water, have a cup of coffee, chat with them a little bit. And then say, is there anything I could pray with you about? I want to turn that foyer into a giant place of healing and hope. And I'll tell you what, I woke up the other night thinking about 35000 for this and 20000 for that and 33000 for labor on this. And I thought, dear Jesus, I wonder how many thousand, far less, I know that, it would take for us to turn that lobby into a place like what I'm describing right now. Maybe that's where we should spend the first 10000 because that's what's going to transform lives. The rest of you can meet on carpet that's stained. The rest of you can meet in a place where holes are in the wall. We don't care. That doesn't run God off. But boy, that lobby. Start thinking about it, folks. Help me turn this place into the house of God. Hallelujah. Finishing well isn't about trying harder to please God or to be a better Christian. Finish is a gut-level determination that nothing will distract you from entering his rest. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I need you to finish, congregation. I need you to finish your hunger for God. I need you to finish in your hunger for his word. I need you to finish your passion to see people come into a life-changing relationship with Christ. I need you to finish your commitment to move. I need you to throw yourself into the destiny that this new house represents, that this new address. It's not a panacea, but boy, does it represent something that's so life-changing. Your friends need to see you finish. Your children need to see parents that will finish. Not perfect parents, just parents that will finish. God believes you will finish. <laughs> God believes you will finish. And God willing, not next week because you know we're moving next week, but the following week there in our, in our new humble little home. I want to talk to you about something Paul said. It's a beautiful just spin off and take off on this whole idea of focus. Second Corinthians chapter 8, he said, So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it by what you have. He was talking about sowing and reaping and how to live in abundant provision. How many of you want to finish? How many of you at least will give it a new, a new chance?